you had an article up on Massim that said fuel reels were kicked out of South Korea. Right, like the whole, <laughs> everybody Like the knew. whole country, like all their visas were Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. It's September the 3rd, 2012, in the evening. It's Labor Day. The Orioles are one game behind the New York Yankees for first place in the American League East. Before I get into super exciting stuff to talk about to do with that, I do want to say thank you to Camden Chat reader Orioles Optimist, who you can find on Twitter. He's at MarketShot. He talks about the stock market and things I don't understand, but maybe you will understand him. Uh, he has really helped us enhance the podcast lately by providing us with some sound clips that we are free to use. You may have noticed our new and improved intro and break segments. So his name is Eric, and he's really cool. So thank you, Eric, for helping us out. And unfortunately tonight, uh, my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson, is off gallivanting through the Rochester area of New York said something about a fantasy football draft. I don't know. So he's he's going to miss out on all the excitement there is to talk about tonight. And instead I have the the boss of Camden Chat who if she has a minute to take away from her busy schedule of banning the people who are coming to uh to troll us now that the Orioles are succeeding. Stacy Long, welcome back to Camden Cast. Thanks for having me. So, how about them O's, hon? How about them? It is Labor Day. They are one game out, so that is pretty much the best I've felt on Labor Day in a long time. So Stacy and I both are already officially wrong in our uh, in our season predictions from before the year. The Orioles won their 75th game today, and I think Stacy, what did you say, 72? And I said 70. I think I said 75. Did so you say if 75? they go over the season, Uh-oh. which they won't. Yeah, Stacy's not okay. So maybe Stacy was. I was the optimist of the group. Yeah, I seem to remember. That's right. Well, I was wrong. They passed my win total in the last week with 70. It's pretty amazing. And, I mean, I still I don't know how it's happened. I mean, I've been watching all the games, and there's sometimes it just defies explanation. Like, well, obviously the Toronto Blue Jays, like today, the Monday's game, you know, not, not exactly the top-flight team in the league this year, but, I mean, six shutout innings from Joe Saunders. It's like, okay, sure, why not? Why not Joe Saunders? I mean, no hit innings. Perfect five innings. and two thirds of perfection. It was enough that we had to start uh, getting upset at people that were talking about the perfect game and or no hitter on the game thread on Camden Chat. Because, of course, well, I'm more superstitious than you are. Not that I actually believe it has anything to do with it, but it's fun to believe it does. So. Yeah, and it's fun to have traditions, even if you don't think that they have any impact on anything. But some people, I think, like to comment on things just to get people riled up. So the Orioles have won eight of their last ten, which is what has gotten them to one game back. And the Yankees have only won four out of their last ten. So if you you think about it, and it doesn't even seem like it was ten games ago. That means the Orioles were five games out in the American League East. What a... Just what a a stretch of games. It's it's just unreal. I can't even... Like, I mean, if, if... if Pedro Strope hadn't melted down on Saturday night, we'd be talking about the division is tied right now, or the Orioles are a game ahead even. It's amazing. I yeah, it's crazy. I think that, because it's funny, the game that they lost against the Yankees, 
Strope has been so reliable all year long. J.J. Hardy's been the best defender all year long, and those are the two things that... But you know what? I feel like in years past, that's the kind of thing that would send this team, you know... Ten game lose. To the lost column. Yep, and now they just come back, and they beat them the next day, and they take the series, and then they go in and beat Toronto. So this is such a different team than I'm used to watching. It really is, and it's... I, I and I mean it's been five months and I just haven't gotten used to it yet. I just keep thinking and I've talked about this on the podcast before. I'll probably talk about it for the rest of the year. I just keep thinking up. Oh, there's the loss. There's the eight game losing streak and then we'll stop talking about it. And then and they bounce back. They win. And I'm like, who are these guys? And you know, you got the the Nate McClouts and the Lou Fords of the world just coming in and doing whatever and they're all just happy to be there. And Randy Wolf three and a third innings, only one run. It's like. It's for Andy Wolf. He was awful in Milwaukee this year. That was like, yeah, a guy outing, was... but it's like, dude, he picked, yeah, guy gets... he, Sorry. he picked to join the Orioles because he was like, well, I wanted to get on the contending team. It's like, what? That doesn't happen. People avoid Baltimore because we're not going to be the contenders. But this year, it's all different. It's all upside down. The $210 million payroll New York Yankees just have injuries left, right, every which direction. Today they had some tweak in Robinson Cano's hip. He's probably not going to play tomorrow. That is Tuesday, which will actually be today as you're listening to all this. But, I mean, wow. There's so many guys that are hurt on that team. We're ineffective or whatever. And, I mean, we could be talking a tie going into this four-game series coming up, starting with Cal Ripken's statue night. I, it's, it's, I still don't even know what to say. And I've watched every game nearly, and... It's just like, holy smokes. The Orioles. I don't even know where they came from. It's, I mean, you look at their statistics, you look at their individual guys, and it's like, wow. You know, there's no superstars really on this team. Adam Jones has been pretty good. He's not like anywhere near one of the best players in the American League good. Matt Weeders hasn't really been what we always hoped he would be. They don't have like one dominant, super dominant pitcher. Although the bullpen's really a strong suit. But other than the bullpen, and it's just like, how are they doing it? Orioles magic is, is starting to feel like the only rational explanation. And you could just come in and suddenly they discover, like, Brian Mattis is suddenly the loogie for the rest of the year. Sure, why not? He was terrible, but now only facing lefties. He just looks like a completely new guy. I mean, Mattis even pitched two innings the other night uh, in Chicago. And he looked good against lefties and righties. So I don't, I don't know what's happening right now. There's no way to explain it. There's no way to, and I'm, you know what? I feel like partially it's our job to kind of pretend like we know what's going on. But at this point, how can we be anything but like let's just enjoy the ride and see where it takes us? Yeah, Mattis did pitch against the White Sox for two innings, and it's like, I mean, here's the guy who, and we started hearing, I guess. Well, I think Jim Palmer made a little comment about how Mattis maybe had attitude issues, and then a couple of there's a little rumbling about that. And it's like, man, once you start hearing about that stuff, it's like, well, he's probably, you know, never going to turn it around because he just has whatever in his head. But it was like, and maybe this is just me imagining things, but it was like him getting demoted to the bullpen finally, like, shocked him enough to realize, man. I'd better really get myself in gear if I don't want to wash out as a big leaguer. And he's just looked like a different guy pitching in relief. Maybe that's just because he can uh, use effort differently in relief. I don't know. But just, just one of many amazing 
turnarounds of guys on the team this year. And so many amazing stories. Like, I mean, we're about to get Jason Hamill back. The Orioles are about to get Jason Hamill back, I should say. I think he's maybe going to start Thursday. The original uh, one-time Dylan Bundy rumor game, which never ended up happening. I think it's hard to, I mean, obviously you can't measure it, but there has to be something to be said for these guys that weren't working out last year. Maybe this is on them or maybe it's on the Orioles. I don't know that, you know, they knew that it was a losing team. And so they knew that they could skate by and now it's a winning team. So not only do they want to contribute, they know that if they don't contribute, they'll be gone. And I don't, I don't know how much, I mean, there's no way to know how much of that is a factor. Absolutely none. But I mean, it has to be something you don't have guys, you know, getting demoted after, you know, a half hour after their start and then like, and coming back and doing, you know, Rick Peterson works his magic in the minors and they come back and, and some, you know, something has to have changed other than their, in addition to their coaching, I would think something with the mentality. So I don't know what it is, but I like it. Yeah. I mean, the Dan Duquette Norfolk Baltimore shuttle, he doesn't care. He will just, I mean, he will use you for two days, send you back down or designate you for assignment. We had the, uh, we've had several appearances of, people who just had like one weekend with the team and then that was that and then somebody came back from an injury and it was like ah we need a 40 man designated for assignment dana evelyn designated for assignment like four separate times this year or something bill hall got the dfa twice brad bergeson was there for like two games in detroit and didn't get used and then he got designated and now he's slumming out in the desert in arizona and just just anybody he'll just do whatever J.C. Romero, yeah, we'll trade some middle infielder we don't care about from Norfolk for 10 days of a lefty specialist who isn't very good, and then just get rid of him. Nobody cares. He's J.C. Romero. Well, maybe J.C. Romero's family cares. That wasn't very nice of me. But no, I'm guessing they're not cares. listening. No, probably, probably they're not. They're not listening. Somebody cares, but we Orioles fans did not particularly care. And I mean, guys who aren't doing the job getting shipped out, like you said, uh, probably three separate times this year, there was the uh, within 45 minutes of the game ending demotion where they don't even bother having a corresponding roster move. It was just like, up, oh, Jake Arrieta, you're out. Brian Mattis, up, Norfolk, Tommy Hunter, Norfolk, Bowie, wherever they want to send him. I don't know. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. I, uh, I keep calling him Ross. Randy Wolf. You've, you've um, been watching too much Friends, Stacy. I know. No, there's a baseball player named Ross Wolf. Yeah, well, anyway, he's the 50th player to be on the Orioles Major League roster this year, which I have never seen anything like this before. I've never seen a winning team for most, you know, almost half my life, but I've never seen roster moves like this before. And so, I mean, we talk about it, Dan Duquette being the Honey Badger GM because he doesn't care, but he he doesn't care. He only cares about getting the most out of the players. And if they don't give it, then, oh, well, there's no sentimentality. There's nothing. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. And when you look back, now that you see that he's like this, it's almost like some of his moves that we just scratched our heads at in the off season, where he was just like bringing in so many people. It's like, man, what is he going to do with all these guys? Well, now we know what he's going to do with all of them. He's got them stashed in the... Uh, the Norfolk Tides retirement home, and if somebody stumbles in the major league level, he's going to drop them down to Norfolk and call up somebody from the uh, the halfway house, and 
I mean, some of those guys have come up and they still had some game left. Nate McLeod, like, what is that? He's not, you know, the MVP, but he's played in 26 games or 27 counting today. And, you know, he's diving for balls in the outfield. He's getting hits, getting on base. It's just like, wow, man. And I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I made fun of the fact that they called him. It's like, ah, okay, here they called up this guy. Best days are behind him, but maybe he just needed to change the scenery. I don't know. Something, something in the in the Baltimore water has just got him playing better than he had been playing. It doesn't make any sense to me. All these guys, it doesn't make any sense. It's magic. It's it's the Buck Show. Walter can get everybody except for Nick Markakis to hustle down the first baseline. Magic, maybe. Which is about the one thing that annoys me, because it just, I don't know, he just looks very slow lately. Yeah, especially when you see all of these other kind of 4A guys working their tails off, and then Marcakis isn't getting on first when the ball's dropped because he was loafing down the line. It's kind of like, we don't do that anymore, Nick. I know, it's not like, <laughs> it's not 2008 anymore. 2010, whatever. It's it's not a bad year. Nick Nick has to get used to the new world order as well. He's probably the longest tenured on the active roster, isn't he? Or has Jim Johnson been around longer than... I think Mark Higgins made his debut in 2006, so I think he's got to be the longest guy around. Yeah, since Brian Roberts... Well, we're not even going to go there. Let's see. Jim Johnson pitched three innings in 2006, and of course Mark Higgins was on the roster from opening day, so... Yeah, that sounds like... Just beat him. Mark Higgins is the longest tenured Oriole, so maybe there's nobody who can uh, get in his face... That'll that'll be the Adam Jones role, I guess, but we haven't seen that result yet. Well, you know, Nick is playing so well. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's. Uh, I didn't think he had it in him, considering he had basically done worse every year since 2008. But this year, even despite the whole Hammett bone thing, he's uh, doing pretty well. After yeah, today, that makes it- after today, he's batting 300 with a 367 on base percentage. 478 slugging. That's good. That's very near <laughs> up to his career best in slugging, in fact. His 491 in 2008 and getting the 476 this year. Getting back to hitting doubles again. He has 25 doubles this year, 13 homers, and that's in only 98 games, whereas last year he played 160 games and had 31 doubles and 15 homers. So whatever stroke maybe he's found again. And he was doing better even before that Hammett injury so it's it's even better to see him come back from that and still be raking he's it's like he's finally realized his destiny is the leadoff hitter it's it's uh it almost makes you wonder like man what if buck had him as a leadoff hitter the whole year instead of messing around with andy chavez or you know robert andino up in there or just some guy who xavier avery it's vaguely fast but not really fast because nobody on the Orioles is fast yeah so it, it makes it even more disappointing when when he does things like it makes it seem like he's loafing because he's having such a good year it's I don't know what the I don't know what the deal is you know maybe it's just we're noticing it more because the way everyone else is playing around him or I don't know what it is but I don't want to dwell on it today because the Orioles are one game out of yeah first there's place. no there's no downer today the Orioles are one games out of first place one game out of first and it's just like, I mean, here, you're, you're sitting here listening to us. It's just hard to form coherent thoughts because it doesn't make any sense. This is supposed to be the time of the year when we're like, 
well, I wonder who they're going to be able to sign in the off season and arguing about how so and so, you know, Zach Greinke, oh, he's never going to sign in Baltimore. Pitchers don't want to pitch in Camden Yards or, you know, whatever. All that stuff. Just, just for a little comparison. For instance, on September the third of last year, the Orioles lost to the Tampa Bay Rays for their record to fall to a 55 and 82 mark. So that's 20 games better than last year wow. at this exact calendar day, which <laughs> 20 games is a lot of games. I don't even know what to say about it. Like, I don't even, I feel like, you know, we, both of us get, you know, requests from other websites and want to talk about the Orioles, want to talk about their success. And I'm always very nervous going into them because I'm not ever sure what to say about their success because, you know, they don't have a lot of great hitters. They don't have a lot of great pitchers. They don't, you know, have any superstars. And all the stuff that was everybody that we seem to agree that the Orioles would need to have go right for them to turn it around. None of it has happened. Hardly any of it has happened. Adam Jones taking a nice step forward for the early parts of the season maybe was the one thing that's kind of like three-fourths of a thing. But, like, you know, Brian Mattis, Jake Arrieta, uh, well, maybe Tillman has figured it out. And Britain. Elbow's not messed up. Yeah, and Britain. And none of those guys were good to start the year off at all. But, uh, well, at least Britain and Tillman have gotten to work with Peterson a little bit. Maybe that helped. I don't know. But, I mean, the the young pitching was not, you know, not what's helped at all, really. Instead, we got Jason Hamill and Wei Yin Chen and Miguel Gonzalez being kind of the, the best starters. Tommy Hunter just threw a lot of innings, what was bad, because he's Tommy Hunter and he doesn't have any other way to be. It's just unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. But we, we just got to enjoy it while it lasts. Oh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I just sometimes uh, I find it hard to talk about for a couple of reasons. What we just discussed, but also the fact that I've never been there before. The last, I mean, I was a, I was a freshman in college the last time in 1997. So I was old enough to know what was going on, but also... I was a freshman girl in college. Like, I wasn't really, you know, hanging out on the internet, talking about the Orioles. And, so, and they, I mean, the internet wasn't like it is now. There was no massing like there is now. So, like, I've, I've thought about that as well. I was a freshman in high school the fall of that year. And I don't even remember how many actual 1997 games that I watched. I really just don't know. Because I just, I mean, you know. It wasn't like the every night thing that it is now. It's mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, I'm trying to enjoy it because you never know when, when they'll be back at this point. What if it's a one-year wonder? Well, don't want to be depressing. It's amazing right now. And if by some chance the Yankees lose tomorrow, which, by the way, Freddie Garcia is starting for the Yankees tomorrow, so don't get cocky. But just, just imagine if the Orioles win tomorrow and the Yankees lose tomorrow then you're talking all tied up and that's just amazing and then i might actually throw up (laughs) yeah i'll be right there with you uh figuratively speaking because (laughs) i mean i won't even know what to do and i i like every game i'm freaking out because like if they lose it feels like this has to be the end and you know, the Orioles run differential, whatever, but it means every game is close when they're winning. So, you know, every game like today can't score off 
J.A. Happ when he's walking guys left and right. It's three to nothing, and suddenly Joe Saunders has one bad inning, and Luis Ayala is coming on with the bases loaded, and it's three to nothing, and you're just like, oh, this is going to be a game they're going to wish they had back. But then, then Luis Ayala didn't do the normal Luis Ayala thing, and and they won. And we're so short on time right now that, like earlier, I felt the way you felt where every time they lost, like, oh, this is the beginning of the eight-game losing streak, and this is when when it happens, and we have to be like, oh, well, it was good while it lasted. But now, I don't really feel like they're going to have an eight-game losing streak. I don't feel like they're going to totally, like, implode. But there are just a handful of games left, so every single game, to me, feels like life or death. And I have no experience with how I'm supposed to react to it. Like, oh, I can't be like, oh, it's one loss, because that could be the game that keeps the Orioles out of the playoffs. And, and I don't know how... I don't know how to gauge the importance of every individual game because I'm so out of my element. And another thing that's crazy is Andrew and I have been on the podcast most of the year, and it seems like every time we look down to a stretch of games, it's like, well, this is the real test. And the Orioles have the two games in the next two days against the Blue Jays, another four games against the Blue Jays. They got six games against the Red Sox and three games against the Mariners. So those are all either fourth or fifth place teams last place or next to last place teams in their divisions and pretty much half the Orioles remaining games are against bottom feeders because I mean if you were looking at the season or the schedule before the season started those Boston games were like wow this is going to be real tough to end the season but I mean, Boston's just a mess and it's you know the Orioles can't look past those games but like if they could take two out of three every time they play the bad teams and then split the good teams we're at Dan O'Hare or 90 Winville. Oh, man. And how good is it to call the Red Sox bottom feeders? It's the best. <laughs> I'm enjoying it more than I can really express. There's just so much. It's, I mean, the Yankees, the Yankee people are panicking, and the Red Sox people are just completely miserable. And this is like, like if you, if you, if you could have set up a dream world of an Orioles season, you couldn't have really imagined it would go like this. Like, you would have thought this was being too asking for too much to get this but instead we're going to get i don't know what we're going to get we got we got a month left of the regular season and then we'll find out what we're going to get yep so we're going to take a short break here on camden cast you can listen to our little twitter plugs and then we will be back with the camden cast comment box so we'll see you on the far side of the break bye bye for now You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you'd like to hear from us between episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. Andrew is at Gibson Andrew, and I am at EatMoreSK, E-S-S-K-A-Y, just like the hot dogs. And now, back to the show. And just like that, we're back. It's time for more Orioles discussion on Camden Cast. And Stacy, it is time for something. Do you know? Do you know what time it is? I don't know, Mark. Is it time for the mailbag? You've got mail. Well, that is exactly right. It's time for the Camden Cast mailbag. The the third inaugural. Well, it's not inaugural, but it was the third, the third edition. Maybe the fourth. Whatever. I've lost count. The point is, it's mailbag time. We actually got some great questions this week, and I regret that we're not going to be able to get to them all. So my uh, 
my little scolding of the listener was actually well received. And if you want to comment or leave a leave a question for us, look on Thursday or Friday afternoon on CamdenChat.com. There will be a thread, the Camden Cast comment box for the next podcast, which should be recorded on Sunday the 9th for Monday the 10th. And you can ask us a question that you would like to hear Andrew and I and whoever we may have on the podcast answer. And uh, the ones we like, we'll pick and we'll read your question on air and we'll give you a little credit. So first for this week, we have from KBA26. He would like to know what improvement can be made on the existing roster out of the players who are either already there or in the organization to give the Orioles the best chance of winning going forward. So do you have any special thoughts on that one, Stacy? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is the constant underachieving of Robert Andino at second base. I know that the Orioles are having a lot of trouble at second base this year. You know, it, Andino was kind of the starter going in, but he underachieved. Then Roberts came back for a couple weeks, and he was terrible. And now you have... Omar Quintanilla, who is also terrible. Yeah, I he think... had a magical week, and then, you know, I was all excited to get to say Omar coming, y'all, every time he did something <laughs> good. And yeah. now he's like 0 for 26 or something. Or he might have snapped that streak, but he was 0 for 23. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, he's Omar Quintanilla. What, what can you expect? Yeah, so I think the solution that I would go with, and it's by no means a... a you know, something that is definitely going to help the team. But Ryan Flaherty, who was raking at Norfolk when he was down there on his rehab stint after he got, like, you know, a cold or something, and they sent him down for a while. Yeah, that was um, that was some Dan Duquette <laughs> roster manipulation right yeah. there. They say it was tonsillitis, and yeah. he was going to be so out little... for three days. No, 15-day disabled list. <laughs> but, you know, he, was ba- he looked a little lost at the plate for most of the year, being that he's never played above double-A before this year. And whatever happened down in, and when he was in AAA on rehab, he was playing really well. And when he when he got back, they put him in a couple of times. And defensively, at second, he looked fantastic. He was hitting the ball hard. And then so suddenly he be, went MIA. And we don't know what's going to happen with Ryan Flaherty. But I feel like at this point, after watching Andino, we know Robert Andino. So I think that it could be worth it. To give to give Flaherty a try. Yeah, he. I mean, obviously, I'm not an expert in evaluating players, but he seemed like he was getting better as the year went along. Like in April and May, you were just looking at him like, what are they doing with this guy taking up a roster space? Especially considering the Dan Duquette roster merry-go-round that he's been all too happy to to engage in. And still Ryan Flaherty just, you know, had that spot on the end of the bench. And every time he appeared in a game, you knew why he was on the end of the bench. Because he just didn't look like a guy who was ready to hit Major League Pitching. But you never know what kind of work he's been doing, you know, with Jim Presley or whoever uh, throughout the year. And, you know, it's possible he's actually picked up on some things. And certainly he goes out there and he plays hard. I don't know if he's a natural second baseman, really. but. Andino just, I mean, and and Robert Andino should never have to buy a beer in the city of Baltimore because of game 162 last year. You know, he should be, you know, toast to the town for life. But that doesn't mean automatically he's, we got to kind of have a suicide pact with him playing second base for the 2012 Orioles because there's just higher expectations now. And unfortunately, he's not really meeting, living up to them. And 
Second base is like the one position where Dan Duquette hasn't been able to find a miracle solution off the scrap heap. There's no, you know, Omar Quintanilla is no Nate McLeod even. <laughs> <laughs> I dare say. So, you know, whatever. But that's a good answer. I think mine would probably be, just please stop batting J.J. Hardy second. He's just not hitting this year. I don't know why he's not hitting this year, but he's not. And he's hitting a lot of double plays, which is unfortunate when you consider how often Nick Markakis is getting on base in front of him. And I think I, I looked today, he got like his 18th ground into the double play of the year, which is like sixth most in the major leagues. All the guys with more are hitting much better than him, so it hurts a lot less when, for instance, Miguel Cabrera, the major league leading double play hitter into Er, is, uh, <laughs> is up there. He has like 23, 24, but he's 33 home runs. So, And he gets on base a heck of a lot more than J.J. Hardy. Yeah, and he's getting on base at a uh, 398 clip. Whereas J.J. Hardy is below the Asturias line, which, for those who don't know, I like to refer to the Asturias line as the 300 on-base percentage, much like the Mendoza line is a 200 batting average, because Cesar Asturias was not getting above that line. Hmm. You know, J.J. is such a valuable player. I mean, in the field, you cannot argue with what he does. And he has a lot of poppers. He has 18 home runs now. So there's a place for him on a major league team, on a contending major league team. And I know that, you know, there's always the caveat of lineup doesn't make that much of a difference. When you watch Hardy ground in so many double plays or make so many big outs during a rally, you know, if he was just down at seventh or something like that, and he could, you know, pop a home run every now and then, but for the other part, not have a lot of pressure on him, I think it would do so much good for the team. Yeah, Hardy batting 229. Sorry, let's count today's tats. 231 with a 276 on base and a 384 slugging. I mean, and, and I mean, this goes back to the first segment, Stacy. Just the fact that this numbers from J.J. Hardy, that's horrible. <laughs> and the Orioles are where they are. It's like, and I posted this on Twitter today, uh, user Cirrhosis, which is a good, good name for an Orioles fan in the, in the most recent years, just said that the 2012 Orioles, they're bad at pitching, they're bad at batting, fielding, and losing. And, I mean, that's that's just what it is. Hardy is hitting for some power. He's just not hitting for average or getting on base like at all. And it, it just kind of hurts as a fan watching him in that second spot when, you know, what if he comes up with, like, first and third and one out? And you're just like, man, just get a sack fly. And I think the Orioles have, like, the fewest sack flies in all of baseball or something like that. And, uh, and then instead... You know, instead of at least, you know, strike out so at least somebody else can come up and have a chance to drive in the guy. But, no, nope, inning-ending double play. Thanks for playing. It hurts. <sighs> JJ. I know. And I'm sorry I had to say this when you're here to listen to it, Stacy, because I know JJ is your, is your secret boyfriend on the Orioles. But That's okay. He does have a special place in my heart. However, I also am aware of his limitations. And he's even in his good years... On base percent is is not a big thing for him. Um, right, last year know, he had the 30 home runs, which was awesome. He was batting 269, on base was 310. So I mean that's that's middling at best. Although his slugging of 491 was pretty great, mostly because of those 30 homers. And 
this year he only has 18 homers. He's probably not going to hit 12 homers in the last month. So, you know, that explains why his slugging is down. And, well, I guess it explains why his batting average is down, too. You just, he's just not hitting him. I mean, to some extent, he's had bad luck. You want to talk about the old batting average on balls in play. And this year, Hardy's is 241, whereas last year's it was 273. So, I mean, that's, that's way below his career number. I don't know if there's some nagging injury for J.J. that's making him not hit you know, balls as well, and that means sharp liner goes right to the shortstop instead of going over the shortstop's head or something. But he just, ugh, bad luck for J.J. this year and, and bad results. I don't know. What can you do? That's, that's J.J. So that's all. That's uh, there's your answer. KBA 26. We could either have Andino not play and Ryan Flaherty play, or maybe move JJ Hardy down in the order. We could do what? Marcakis, McLeod. That's two lefties in a row, though. Well, whatever. Move JJ Hardy down. That's the point. And we got another question. This one is a little sillier, but I like this question. Camden Camden chat poster Orange Ravens asked us. Who should write or perform a 2012 Orioles theme song if there was one, considering who would be the most famous or most interesting musician alive with Baltimore or Maryland roots? And Stacy and I did a little Wikipedia-ing to look at people who were associated with Maryland, and I was actually surprised with, with the number of Maryland roots there are out there. The one that surprised me perhaps the most that I don't think I remembered is David Byrne of Talking Heads, who apparently went to Lansdowne High School in Baltimore County. And I don't know if he still lives here, but I guess he's from here vaguely. So there you go. So there's there's one guy. And, of course, the uh, Talking Heads had a song called Life During Wartime, which had the line... This ain't no party, this ain't no disco, and this ain't no fooling around, which I personally, Stacy, feel is a very great line for the 2012 Orioles. I can see it. Although they would have to have their own theme song, somebody somebody could write. And I think Orange Ravens meant in the vein of Orioles magic. Just, you know, kind of have a 2012 cheesy theme song instead of 1979 cheesy theme song. So, Stacy, you were remembering some other people when you were thinking sure, well. Maryland <laughs> acts. When I think of Maryland uh, singers, the first one I always think of, which isn't necessarily the greatest one, but the, because she actually spent some time at my high school, was Toni Braxton. And uh, she was kind of, you know, a one-hit wonder-ish, but she now has, I think, like a reality show on Style Network or something. But she had a, one of, like, I think her biggest song was called uh, Unbreak My Heart, which is kind of what the Orioles are doing for us this year yeah where you know every year how many years have i called them my abusive boyfriend they always say oh yeah i'll be good to you this time and then they just do the same thing that they've always done and this year they haven't and so this year they're showing up with some flowers every week you know they're doing yes they're doing the dishes (laughs) i'm I'm really trying to resist doing a gary thorne i'm not drunk enough to do gary thorne and try and sing unbreak my heart on the podcast here oh please do it no no i'm not gonna do it not going to do it. So if if you're my age and you had a sister who was my sister's age, you might remember Good Charlotte from, what was it, Waldorf, Maryland? And I believe I have seen the singer of Good Charlotte, who I don't know why people retweet him onto my timeline, but he apparently is still a big Orioles fan. Benji, Benji Madden, maybe his name is? I don't know. But uh, 
I have seen people retweet him. Maybe they just still have nostalgic memories of Good Charlotte. The song I always remember from them is Little Things, which actually isn't about doing little things. It's about little things that hurt you. So maybe that's not a good, uh, not a good pick there, Good Charlotte. But my sister was a big fan of Good Charlotte back in the day. So I, I certainly remember them. And Stacy, another surprising one for me, which I didn't didn't know, is uh, according to the Wikipedia page when I Wikipedia musicians from Baltimore, the lead singer of the Counting Crows, Adam Duritz, is from Baltimore or the Maryland area anyway. And of course, the Counting Crows have a song we always like to refer to in reference to the Orioles because that's Mr. Jones. It's Mr. Jones and me can tell each other fairy tales and stare at the beautiful women. So there you go. There's another one. Now, I know that Joe Angel is fond of calling Adam Jones Mr. Jones. He does. He does like saying Mr. Jones. And I like I like Joe Angel saying Mr. Jones. It's a, it's a good choice. And, of course, I think, Stacy, you were on here, the, the podcast we talked about, Joe and Jet, the Orioles fan. Yes, I think so. Because, as, as I learned from you, Joe and Jet was who sang the national anthem for, what was that, the 2131? I believe it was... Well, I think it was 2130. At least that's she might have done it at both. I was at 2130, and she sang the national anthem then. And then post-game presented Calvary Queen with like one of her gold albums or something. Yeah, so I don't really know why Joan Jett is an Orioles fan. Uh, and, th- and that's another song that's maybe not really as appropriate now. Because, for instance, about the Orioles, I felt I hate myself for loving you was very, very appropriate. <laughs> and now suddenly it's not. Yeah. They kind of have ruined that these years. So that that wouldn't be a good 2012. No, it's not not a good 2012 song. song. So all these heartbreak songs, you know, not so good anymore. Another one of that nature, um, Tori Amos, who had some Maryland roots. In fact, my dad, I discovered, used to know her because my dad went to the church where her dad was the pastor for some time uh, when he was much younger. And so she has a song called Silent All These Years, which... The Orioles have basically been silent, or when they weren't silent, they were awful. So again, that's not really not really a good one there, unfortunately. Yeah. Also, isn't that song about like rape or something? No, well, that was a bad pick then. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not positive. It's, it's been a while since I've since I listened to Tori, but um, but yeah, but if you if you're just going based on the on the title. Yeah, I didn't I didn't read the whole lyrics. <laughs> I would have to say. Yeah. Back in my teenage years, me and Tori spent some time together. I most of her songs would not be appropriate for anything positive whatsoever. Yeah. So. so we're sorry, Tori Amos. Uh, maybe you're not the best pick to do the 2012 Orioles. How about Cisco? Cisco. Uh, now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. Now Cisco, we remember. Well, I guess it wasn't your high school days. It was my high school days for the Thong song. Yes, those were my college days. Which, well, I'm sure that was even better for you because <laughs> everybody could get drunk and, you know, do whatever to the thong song in, in the club or whatever you were doing over there on the Eastern Shore in Salisbury. I don't know. Uh, but but why not the thong song anymore? Mostly because Aubrey Huff isn't on the Orioles anymore. He went over to the Giants and had the rally thong when they won the World Series. So we, we can't have the thong song uh, back in Baltimore, really. Because we're really only fit for Aubrey Huff, as far as I know. If it would fit for anyone on the current Orioles, I wouldn't really want to know about it. I don't know. Maybe we don't know with we don't know what's going on with Luis Ayala and the people he's <laughs> <laughs> throwing autographed baseballs to. 
from the bullpen. For anybody who didn't hear that story, what was that? When they were in Texas, I think, there was a story that was posted on Deadspin.com where Luis Ayala had apparently, um, there was a attractive woman in the stands near the bullpen who caught his eye. He signed a baseball and wrote his phone number on it and tossed it to her. And uh, then it turned out she had a boyfriend or a husband and uh, kind of wasn't a, wasn't a good situation, especially because Luis Ayala is married. His wife is in Mexico or something, and so that was probably a bit on the embarrassing side, but never let it be said that we will not make fun of our own. I don't only make Derek Cheater gift basket won't validate parking jokes. We can, we can also joke about our own, our own people. And then there was one you pointed out to me, Stacy, Jimmy's Chicken Shack, which I did not know was from the Maryland area until tonight. And uh, again, that's another not good one, because the song I remember from them was Do Right, where he just keeps asking, what do I do? What do I do right? Well, the Orioles used to not do anything right, and now they are doing plenty right. <laughs> so none of these just re- none of these are really, really fitting. And uh, it's kind of unfortunate we can't harness all the, the Baltimore musician power. If we, could, if we could call back the dead for this somehow, we could consult with Frank Zappa. Or Mama Cass, or any number of singers from the jazz area or era, I should say. But again, just just not really fitting for 2012, unfortunately. So, uh, if you want to kind of have an honorable mention, because there has been one group that actually wrote a song about the Orioles recently. Uh, you may remember what was that? The 2010 season, Stacy? Maybe it was 2009. <sighs> I want to say their name was the Boog Pals. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the players that were in the song. I don't know what year it was. It must have been 2010. It was called How About Demos, which I think there was a song of that name earlier in the Orioles' history, but they they made an update with that title. And it was, uh, you know, it was like they were singing all the names of the guys, and it's like, we got Guthrie, Uehara. Yeah. (laughs) Aubrey Huff, Melvin Mara. It was a fun song. It was a fun song. And then, I guess that was 2009. I really want to say, because I remember one of the lines was like, soon we're going to have weeders. Mm-hmm. But um, then 2009 sucked, so they kind of didn't keep playing that song, although it was a, was a fun song. So maybe they could remember the Boog Pals to write uh, write a song. And and Stacy and I were remembering there was somebody who did a song about booing Mark Teixeira. I don't remember if that was also the Boog Pals. But they haven't really updated their their music, so maybe they got sick of the Orioles losing, and uh, you know we we can't really call them back because they got tired of it. But the point here that I think we're getting at is, Stacy, I don't know about you, but uh, I like Orioles magic, plenty fine. Yes, I'm a big fan. It's cheesy, but Baltimore is cheesy, and the same people that will run around wearing purple camo for the Ravens can bring back and dust off a song from the late 70s. And, you know, the Oriole Bird still does the O-R-I-O-L-E-S, which, of course, they rattle off in the song. So, you know, even though it wasn't written for these Orioles, I'd say Orioles Magic is still pretty fitting. I like using the phrase Orioles Magic. Yeah, and I think that the line about every night being a different star is very appropriate in 2012. Very much 2012 Orioles. Lou and Nate and whoever else is on this team that's totally out of nowhere just any any and all just whoever it is on that night it's it's a very fitting song so orange ravens i know you're i know you're looking to get out from under 
Orioles magic, but I, I have to say you might be the only one because, well, certainly on Camden and Chad, Orioles magic is well embraced as we love to love to do the spelling every time the Orioles win. Getting pretty good at it this year. Things are flowing smoothly instead of having disjointed and horrible spellings. So there you go. We're sticking with Orioles magic. I guess that's our final answer. Hopefully, hopefully you all out there agree because really. I love Orioles magic, man. And it's even more fun this year now that the Orioles are actually winning. It's 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 a lot of fun. So there you go. Orioles magic, we're we're rolling with you. And that's all for the Camden Cast. Comment box tonight. Again, look on Thursday or Friday afternoon on CamdenChat.com for the comment box for next time, and we'll take whatever we like. So we will be back on the other side of this nice little message. You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you want to hear more from us between episodes, you should also make sure to check out the website, camdenchat.com, where you'll find discussion on all the latest Orioles happenings and sometimes just random whatever is going on. Check out our Facebook page and give us a like. It's facebook.com slash camdenchat. And you can subscribe to this podcast if you search for us on iTunes with Camden Cast. And now, back to the show. And we're back once again, and Stacy and I are now ready to look forward to the week that approaches. And of course, we're in the middle of a series with the Toronto Blue Jays, Stacy, and they're the last place team in the American League East, so... I don't want to say there's must-win games, but the Orioles need to need to take two out of three, and hopefully they can find a way to sweep. Not to, We want to get our hopes up. I'm still afraid of getting my hopes up about anything, because the margins here are just razor thin. And while they're in a playoff spot right now, and even close to the division lead, they're also really close to not being in the playoff spot at all. Game and a half over the race is all they got. And then, you know, Detroit and the Angels aren't far away, too. So it's it's still, you know, there's, there's not much margin for error. So Tuesday night, we will be seeing Zach Britton pitch against Carlos Villanueva of the Blue Jays. And Villanueva was last seen by Orioles fans pitching against the Orioles uh, on August the 24th when he gave up four earned runs with two home runs on five and two-thirds innings of work. So that's uh, not a bad omen. Of course, one game, not super meaningful. The Orioles could easily come into Skydome and suck terribly, which wouldn't be good. But he's got a 3.10 ERA on the season, which isn't bad. Striking out over a batter per inning, also not bad. And on the other side, we have Zach Britton, who, well, he's another surprising guy in 2012. Yeah, since he came back from the from the disabled, not the disabled list, from AAA... He has been. It was the skill just, disabled list, is what the Norfolk is. For yeah. Girls, basically. <laughs> he, I mean, he's been very, very impressive, and so, I mean, he was only gone for what a couple weeks. Like he and it, it's like night and day. I know he. What did he strike out ten guys and when he pitched against uh, Chicago last time, which is just. And he's not even like a big strikeout guy normally. Yeah, he got so, demoted after pitching in Seattle. No, against Seattle on August the seventh. And he's been back for three starts since then. And he's thrown 21 and two-third innings 
with only three earned runs. Hasn't given up any home runs. He struck out 21 guys in those 21 and two-thirds innings, and he's only walked five guys. That's fantastic. And most impressive was that White Sox game, like you said, with the 10 strikeouts, because the White Sox didn't mess around, especially against lefties or against righties. I mean, either side of the plate, they got, you know, Dunn and Rios and Canerco and Brzezinski. That's that's hitting you no matter what handed pitcher you're throwing out there. He just sent him down. And one thing that I'm just I'm looking at his numbers over those the starts since he got called up and you know three starts is not a lot, but one impressive thing is that his batting average on balls in play is 298 in that stretch. So if you look over a three game period and it's something like 200, then you're like oh well you know who knows what's going to happen when that comes back up to normal. But that's that's normal. That's higher than normal. Right. That's and he's still pitching so well. That's about what he's going to achieve, and uh, he's he's definitely had a great returning from Norfolk stretch of games. So hopefully that continues on against the Blue Jays. And of course the Blue Jays, Stacy, are kind of a mess right now as far as their uh their lineup because since Jose Bautista got re injured his wrist, he was only off the DL for like two games and then he got hurt again. Which is unfortunate for Toronto fans, but uh well I I don't know. I, I can't really expand and pity them too much. Right now, I'm just too busy being excited about the Orioles. But seriously, their lineup, if you take out Edwin Encarnacion, or if I want to say it like Gary Thorne, i got to be like, Edwin Encarnacion. He's the only guy who's slugging over 420 that, that played today on the, on the Blue Jays. Because you got Colby Rasmus over 400. He's, he's got a 418 slugging. But Rasmus, below 300 on-base percentage, batting 229. So... I mean, that doesn't mean he's not going to crush if there's a mistake pitch from Britain or any, any other Oriole pitcher. But, I mean, you look at the names in their lineup, it's not striking a lot of fear in your hearts when you're just seeing the likes of Jeff Mathis or Kelly Johnson or Yunel Escobar. It's just, uh, you know, that, that's why the Orioles got to beat the Blue Jays. Adeni Echavarria. Who is that? I don't know. He has a 239 on base percentage in his limited action, so clearly not off to a great start in his his big league career, which just started 20 games ago. That's what the Blue Jays have. These are the guys the Orioles have to beat. Of course, you look at the, the Orioles lineup, and then you're like, well, they've got Nate McLeod and Lou Ford in their lineup, so there's no way they should be winning. Well, sorry. There's only enough room for crazy luck for one team in the division per year, apparently. And uh, it's it's Orioles magic that's triumphing, as people are going and putting a bird on the uh, the hotel and the the Rogers Center and whatever else. And I don't know. So that's Tuesday. Orioles need to win. If if again if they win and the Yankees lose tomorrow, if that happens somehow, tied for first place. So and if you want to get really crazy, you can think: What if the Yankees lose the next two games and the Orioles win the next two games? What if? Then the Orioles would have a division lead going into that four-game series this next weekend, which let's not talk about that. I know I can't, I can't even can't, fathom can't it. Can't fathom it. So Wednesday night matchup is Miguel Gonzalez versus Brandon. They kept calling him Brandon Moreau the last time we saw him pitch. I thought it was Morrow. It is. I don't know what Gary Thorne was doing other than being his normal self. Being his normal self. Did you see the picture that was posted by <laughs> yes. Rolly on Twitter? 
He just had on his turquoise shirt and he was holding up a cup. I would love to know what was in that cup. I would really give money to know. I'm sure we take a few educated guesses. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if if he, you know, if part of the arrangement with the Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey uh, sponsorship is that Gary Thorne gets for personal use for every series he works or something. I don't know. I love Gary Thorne, though, so I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing him. He's a funny, funny guy. We're lucky we have him as an announcer. But Gonzalez versus Moreau. Moreau has also been a good pitcher for the Blue Jays this year. And, I mean, if you look at them, you wonder why they suck so much when they've got, wow, Carlos Villanueva, 310 ERA. That's great. Brandon Moreau. Moreau, 298, uh, 293 ERA. He's only made 15 starts. I guess he was probably hurt for a while or whatever. I think he only has two starts back um, from the disabled list. I think Baltimore was the last time the Orioles faced him. It was the, his first game back from the disabled list, so it was like his first game since June, and it was like on August 25th. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in that game, he went four and two-thirds, but he only had two earned runs, four runs total. And he was actually looking not terrible. He had a bunch of strikeouts in that time. And he had a good outing against the Rays after that. So, you know, if he's back in returning to form, we certainly can't just put that one in the win column. The Orioles got to do their homework and figure out, you know, what kind of mistakes might he make? When can they lay off stuff? And the Orioles aren't good at doing this at all. I, I feel like they just, even when they're doing well, it just doesn't look like they figure out what a pitcher is doing and make adjustments within the game. I don't know. I don't know. They look pretty good in their recent pass against, although it seems to be hit or miss. Like, they looked fantastic against Sale against the White Sox. Then the very next night, I can't remember who's pitching for the White Sox, but someone not nearly as good as Sale, and they totally shut them down, and they were chasing everything. So I don't know. They don't seem to have any consistency in anything. Morrow has three complete game shutouts this year. That's pretty impressive. He's had complete game shutouts against the White Sox, the Mets, and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Orange County, California, United States of America, Earth. Three complete game shutouts and 15 starts. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. Don't see that much these days. So uh, don't sleep on Moreau. So I guess the message there maybe is uh, beat Villanueva and hope for two out of three. Because, I mean, Gonzalez could have a great game and lose one to nothing at this uh, at this rate. Yeah, yeah and you know, I think Gonzalez is, I mean, if he can pitch anything like he pitched against the Yankees last time, nine strikeouts, seven innings. Then it'll be. It could go either way. All it takes is one mistake to Edwin Encarnacion after a walk, and then suddenly two runs are on the board. And Encarnacion hit a 488-foot home run at the Rogers Center uh, two days ago. So he can smash him. I watched the video of it. That was astounding. Just, just crushed. Yeah, I think it was Gary Thorne on the broadcast today was saying that because before the Orioles played the Yankees, the Yankees played Toronto in Toronto. And he was talking to one of the someone who works in the the Yankees system who was saying the best strategy is just walk, <laughs> walk and Carnation every single time because he's the only one who can hit. And I don't know if that's anything you want to do, but it really is true that he really if you look at their lineup, he's the only scary thing in it. It's a mess so for think, them right now. If you can minimize, you know, yeah, don't do not walk the guy in front of him. Do not let people get on base in front of him. Then, you know, he's only one guy, so the minute the damage he can do is minimal. It's strange to sit here and say, well, don't let Edwin Encarnacion beat you, but that's that's the world we're living in here. And of course, we know things can be strange this year because, hey, the Orioles. 
So we just we just all have to adjust to this new reality. Crazy as it is. I don't know. I don't know, Stacy, if I would say I'm dealing with it uh, very well. I don't know if you feel like you're dealing with it very well. I I have my ups and downs. You know, I feel a little bipolar about it. Like one day I'm like, oh, the Orioles, they can take that. They can win that. Look how good they've been. And the next day I'm like, but they're the Orioles, so <laughs> I don't know. Many of our own conversations reflect this. We just we can't figure it out from day to day, from inning to inning. It's we don't know. We don't know what we're doing. Hopefully you you handle it a little better than us out there, but we're we're all here on Camden Chat to suffer with you as you go through these these weird pains. So that's the Blue Jays. Let's hope for two out of three from them. Then it's the Yankees and Holy smokes, the stakes on this series. Who could have imagined that this series was going to be the one for so many of the Marvels back in April? No way. No way to know. Going to start off Thursday night, Cal Ripken Statue Night. It's already sold out. Maybe you can still get standing room tickets. That's going to be a packed, possibly packed Orioles-friendly crowd against the Yankees that I haven't seen probably since opening day 2009 when uh, they wouldn't let you buy opening day tickets ahead of time unless you had bought at least a four-game pack. So that kept most of the Yankee fans out. And that time, everybody showed up to Boomark Teixeira, because that was his first game period since uh, signing with the Yankees. I think it's going to be a very Orioles-friendly crowd on Thursday. Yeah. There's a lot of things going you know, in there in their favor. It's the Cowherkin statue game and every statue game this year has been very well attended. It's on a Thursday during school. So the people coming down from New York probably won't come down until Friday. So I think, I think that's going to be a really exciting, intense crowd. Not that they've won every emotionally charged game or every statue game this year. And not that that guarantees anything, but I mean, that's if you, if you believe in any kind of karma or just anything like that, I mean, I don't think it's going to get any better than Cal Ripken Jr.'s statue getting unveiled on the, uh, what, the 17th anniversary of the 21-31 game? We're old. We are. The the 20-minute lap around the stadium when the game went official, which was probably my, my still my favorite Baltimore sports moment that I have ever witnessed. Not that I was there, but I watched it on TV, watching it on ESPN, as I recall, where even Chris Berman didn't talk for like half the time, which was quite a feat. So the uh, the, the starters listed on ESPN.com there, and the Orioles may juggle this because I think Hamill is supposed to come back for Thursday. So this could end up being Hamill and everybody else gets pushed back. But for the Yankees, it's listed as David Phelps, who the, we last saw with the Orioles completely failing to capitalize uh, from his, what, six walks and whatever innings? Yeah, he was terrible. I mean, I think he only gave up like three hits or something, but he walked six guys, and they could not. Hitting in the double plays, getting picked off, whatever. Don't do it again. Just, you know, if he's on the ropes, just knock him out of the box. That's what you got to do. And that's Chen, or it could be Hamill. I don't know. Phelps has generally pitched well this year, though. So, I mean, none of these games against the Yankees are going to be gimmies. They're the Yankees. And we've certainly suffered... A lot of painful losses at the hands of the Yankees. Yes, and they will have A-Rod back, and they will probably have to share a back, yeah, and they will probably they have Grant. And Granderson pinched it today, so I'm sure he'll be back, even if they give him all the rest of the The Grandy series. man will be back there, yeah. So I think it's going to be a 
course, last last weekend was also tough, but it's going to be a tougher weekend with all their guys coming back from injury. Four games instead of three, so the potential swing there is massive. If the worst happens, and it's a sweep, that's four games down. The best happens, and it's a sweep the other way. It's four games up, which it's not going to happen. I I can't even imagine it happening. I, it I, could I, happen. It could, but it probably won't. No, it won't. I mean, I don't think that it's going to be a sweep either way. I think that the Yankees are too good, and the Orioles are also too good for something like that to happen. You just said that. That just happened. Yep, and it's true. I think it's true. The Orioles are too I, good to get swept. And, well, they are. I mean... Even if you don't know how they're playing this way, you got to look at what they've done and realize, you know what? They're not going to get rattled. They're not going to give up. Maybe they'll take a tough loss. They'll come back out the next day and find a way to try and get you. So, of course, the, the Yankees have guys coming back, but they may also have Robinson Cano going the other direction because he left today's, Monday's game uh, early with some kind of something grabbed in his hip. So maybe that'll just be a one-day thing, but on the other hand, you know, if it's uh, if it's uh, if it's bad and he's out for 10 days or whatever, he's not going to play when the Orioles uh, will be facing his team for the rest of the, the regular season. Of course, we can't know what might happen in the theoretical playoff scenario. So that's that. Phelps versus Chen, maybe. Or Phelps versus Hamill. Either way, the hitters need to beat Phelps. And of course, the Orioles, a lot of it just comes down to starting pitching for the Orioles because... You were looking at their numbers when the pitcher throws a quality start recently, which is something just remarkable. If you want to drop that knowledge on us. Yeah, sure. Um, well, at first it started with, I want to give you know credit where credit is due, a fan post from a Camden channel named Dr. J, where he went back, and I don't remember his exact number. Was it but Dr. J or DRJ? Because there's two Dr. Js. There's the- it's Dr. J. There's... <laughs> It's Dr. Period J, okay. not not the all small DRJ. Okay. Not so Dr. Like J. So DRJ, but you're not you're not Dr. J. I, I don't know. Whatever. So Dr. J, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was a 45% time from in from the time he wrote the fan post in the end of July that the Orioles had pitched a quality start, like 45% of their games, and that was not even nearly as at the top of you know, the AL for for uh, teams doing that. But I think at the time, Oakland was at the top of like 59 or something, of course, because Oakland. Right. And at the t- but he did notice that. Oh, but how many of them like, were Bartolo Colon, who's now suspended? Oh, yeah, who knows? But so like, something like 86 or 87 percent of their of their quality starts, they won. And that's mu- that was tops in the AL. Like it wasn't even close. And so. You know, there was a lot of that. You know, those are just observations of numbers. But what we did was, you know, kind of talk it out, and it came to the conclusion that well, when your bullpen is as good as the Orioles' bullpen has been, then it makes it's a lot more valuable to get a quality start. Which, in case you don't know, is six innings, three runs, six innings or more with three runs or less. Right, which and which so, doesn't sound very impressive when you look at it like that. But I think the theory behind the quality start is. If you're not good, you will fall more often than not on the wrong side of that. Right. And I think that the Orioles hitters this year have been 
they've had their ups and downs. The starting pitchers have had their ups and downs, but the bullpen has been pretty consistent. So if the bullpen only has to deal with either protecting a one-run lead or keeping a one-run deficit from going any further, something like that, then the hitters kind of have a chance to come back because nothing's going to happen once the bullpen comes in. So if the starters can keep them down, then then it's very valuable for the Orioles, much so than it is for other teams that have a ton of home run hitters or whose bullpen is maybe not quite as shut down as the Orioles has been. Stacy, I saw a fact from John Shepard at Camden Depot on Twitter today. He was just he he likes to spout off random knowledge during games and today he was saying that of the 38 games Kevin Gregg has appeared in for the Orioles this year, he's only come in when they've had a lead four times. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. You think about all the agony that Kevin Gregg caused us last year, and he's still caused us some this year. Mm-hmm. He's the only reliever who's pitched any kind of significant innings who has an ERA over three, let alone over four. His is 432, and like everybody else is under three. And he's only come in when they've had a lead four times. So, So I mean, well, that's great bullpen management. That's great bullpen management. So. And that's nice that they're not saying, well, Kevin Gregg makes $6 million, so we're going to put him out there. Right. He doesn't have to be the closer just because he's the highest paid guy in the right. bullpen. That's, not, that's a refreshing thing to have in a team, isn't it? It certainly but, is. But so since Dr. J wrote his post, I think we've determined that the Orioles – what did we figure out? It was – um. They had, Seven, you updated it, and it was 15 and they were up, yeah. when they had 15, a qualified they were up, start. I think it was 32 games they'd played since then, and in half in 16 of those, they'd had a quality start. And in those 15, 16 games, they went 15-1, which is unbelievable. So, so we've gone another four games since then, and there were quality starts by Orioles pitchers in three of them. The only one where there wasn't was when Tillman left with his whatever in his elbow, hopefully nothing serious. And they went 2-1 and one in those games. So in their last 36 games, the Orioles have gone 17-2 and two when they had a quality start from their starting pitcher. Which is insane. Which is so good. And I think that, you know, that is kind of what the Orioles do. And that's what their pitchers need to keep doing if they want to keep having success. They just want to be able to keep their team in the game. You know, they don't have to throw nine innings and give up no runs or one run. They just keep their team in the game long enough that the bullpen can come out and and slam the door. So, I mean, I guess one of the things we would have said about this season before is they're only going to go as far as the starting pitching takes them. And, uh, well, it's not the the guys that we imagined would be contributing. I think we maybe were hoping the young guys would be the front of the rotation guys and maybe a guy like Hamill and Chen would slot in in the back, but... I mean, they're they're getting it done. They're not getting a quality start every game, but I mean that's more than 50% of their last 36 games they've had the quality start, and they've won some games where they didn't get a quality start. Certainly, uh, although that's a little harder to do. Especially. Right. Well, with Mark Reynolds heating up, that's really been a lot of you know. Yeah, hopefully that's a trend that continues rather <laughs> so, than uh, just a blip so, from that one series. Right, they won't be as reliant on the on the quality start. I think if their if their hitters can start hitting, but we haven't seen any evidence of that yet. Like we know that Adam Jones is capable of doing more. I feel like I know that Matt Weir's is capable of doing more, but who knows if that's going to happen? But what we do know is that the pitchers have been capable of doing this, and that's what's gonna 
get them through if they if they make it all the way to the playoffs. I mean, that's a number of times through the rotation right there. So that's not as likely to be just a fluke. That's that's a pretty impressive stretch right there, and hopefully they can keep that going. I mean, if they can keep that pace going, where you know they're winning 90% or more of their games where they get the quality start, and they're getting a quality start half the time, and then they you know find ways to win the other games. <laughs> uh, again, we're going to be a 90-win Dan O'Hareville pretty much because what is, now it's 15 and 13 to get to Dan O'Hareville. Yeah, they'll play two games over 500 for the rest of the year to win 90 games, which is insane. How did we get here? We know, we've we've talked it out and we still don't really know, but uh, it's it's about time for us to wrap up tonight. So my thanks to Stacy for joining me for a little pinch podcasting. It was kind of last minute. I'm glad she was available. Otherwise, we would have had to. Do a little postponement, but Stacy, thanks for coming back on. Of course, anytime you want to have me. Well, whenever the season ends to whatever end, I think it's going to be time for a postmortem with you and me and Andrew all here. But we're not quite there yet. We got some an exciting last month. Who could have imagined it would be September where the Orioles aren't playing spoilers, where they're they're in the race. They're the ones trying to beat the spoilers. I never thought I'd see the day again, but here it is. We're here, and it's fantastic. We're here, and it's Birdland is what it is. So that is all we have for tonight. For Stacy Long, my name is Mark Brown. We are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out. Unbreak my heart. <laughs> say you love me again.